0: you ready to do this i think i am i am treating this podcast with a renewed sense of vigor and enthusiasm
1: say vigor again vigor My brain's not working.
0: My brain is turgid. I don't think that's a good thing.
1: No, that sounds like a medical condition. I don't think
0: the doctor would approve. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast.
1: Welcome back, yo. I caught you. (laughs) That was so dorky.
0: (laughs) Oh. Since when has that been a problem? (laughs) call that on brand (laughs) i don't mean for you specific no i do no that is what i mean
1: this podcast is going to be fresh fly fly it's going to be tight
0: (laughs) is it going to be off the chain
1: is off the chain dated now oh hell yeah it is oh yeah Damn it. All the
0: chain was dated five years ago.
1: Oh, man. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) White flag of surrender. I cannot keep up anymore. Officially. Officially done. Gotcha. Welcome back to the Duke and Duchess podcast.
0: Welcome. I'm the Duke. I'm the Duchess. And here we are in episode 64, where we will be covering chapters 28 through the end of... Interlude seven? Six. Six, thank you. Okay. Seth. So right up to but not including part three.
1: Yes indeed. And next up, we are going to be covering chapters twenty nine through thirty three.
0: Why don't you give them our spoiler policy?
1: Our spoiler policy is this. Chad has not read these books. Nope. I have. So in the interest of keeping him unspoiled and getting to hear his fabulous predictions at the end of every episode, we will not be spoiling anything on this podcast past the end of part two, the end of interlude number six. So if you see him in the grocery store, if you hit him up on Twitter, don't spoil it for him. Nope. We will be delving into the Cosmere, which is another word for all of the the worlds that Brandon Sanderson writes in, kind of inhabit this shared universe, the Cosmere. We will get a little bit into Cosmere-related things on this podcast, but only if they do not spoil plot points for his other novels.
0: Makes sense to me.
1: So if you are a Cosmere virgin...
0: This is a good podcast for you.
1: It's the flyest.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: So chapter 28, interludes four, five, and six... What did you think overall?
0: I think this is the best episode of Lost I've ever read.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love that description.
0: (laughs) Just piling more and more shit on top of the mystery. Not really answering a whole lot.
1: Just have faith. I mean, I know I said that when we were watching Lost,
0: you d- and I was completely and totally <laughs> you, you wrong. You very fucking wrong. <laughs> but you did not have the advantage of foresight.
1: That's true. Or That's hindsight, true. or whatever
0: kind of fucking sight that is. Second sight, near sight.
1: I'm just saying, only three books have been put out so far, but so far, this series has delivered the lingering the plot threads the lingering mysteries yeah it's all coming back around have faith in this
0: ups delivers too but i'm not spending 40 hours with the fuckers god damn it liz now we have to change the sign on the podcast again zero days without a burnt finger accident (laughs) burn yourself on tea again
1: this is why i usually drink juice boxes (laughs) just saying no I'm hot, working on the big girl drinks.
0: No hot beverages during podcasts.
1: Well, let's get into the chapters a I, bit. Okay,
0: fine. Sure enough.
1: Chapter 28 is called Decision, and it's a big one. This is a big, long, meaty chapter.
0: It's a hunk of chapter. It's a
1: hunk of chapter.
0: I had to restart this chapter a couple times because I kept falling asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> Which is not an indication of the writing. I was just reading late at night and I kept falling asleep and the nook would smack me in the face and I good <laughs> I'd try to start over and then I'd start the next day and be like I don't I don't know what the hell I read and just start over. So it took me longer to get through this section than than it usually does.
1: This is a thick chapter. Not a lot happens plot-wise, but some very deep important character points happen. It's it's like a it's just a meaty like swarthy heavy chapter like i think this chapter was a person would have a unibrow smell like olives
0: swarthy heavy chapter
1: it is it's kind of it's kind of furry i don't know i can't (laughs) let's go back i think i started talking about something else um (laughs) (laughs) let's have the plot summary shall we let's
0: do that please
1: In chapter 28... Guarding
0: a princess. (laughs) This chapter's wielding a really big sword.
1: (laughs) It's funny because... Has a pet monkey. I don't know why it's funny.
0: Tiny little fez on his head.
1: (laughs) Oh, all right. In this chapter, Dalinar and Adolin are surveying the troops. Adolin is bothered because Dalinar keeps pushing him into leadership positions, sometimes awkwardly. He doesn't realize that Dalinar is seriously considering abdicating and leaving him in charge. Dalinar's struggle over this decision comes to a head when the last of the High Princes that he approached about an alliance rejects him. He clears his head by digging a latrine, but is interrupted by Navani, the king's mother. Together, they go to exchange messages with Navani's daughter, Yasna via spanreed. Yasna is reluctant to commit to returning to the Shattered Plains despite Dalinar's urging. Instead, she has questions about chasm fiends. By the end of the conversation, Dalinar has made his decision. He tells Navani that he has decided to abdicate, leaving Adolin in charge.
0: All right. The biggest point I have in this chapter is the very deliberate metaphor of Dalinar working hard to help his people by digging a fucking latrine. Yes. And and to me, particularly in relation to what we read in some other sections, this is very much about adding and creating, bringing value to the people rather than fighting and destroying things and taking away. So creation versus destruction. But I just can't help but think the fact that it's a latrine – has some sort of meaning.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think it's leadership and different styles of leadership that's one of the most important themes in this book. And leading up to Dalinar's action in actually starting to do the work, he is asking Adolin why he thinks that the Radiants never had any tools like Shardblade, Shardplate, for for people who were laborers.
0: For the common people. For the common
1: people. And he says, you know, maybe that, in itself is the ultimate the ultimate reason why they shouldn't be in charge anymore and, and why they weren't actually the good guys well, and then he goes and and again we've seen the contrast between Dalinar's style of leadership versus all the other high princes and this is sort of the ultimate the culmination of what he believes is the right way to lead people and here he's using his tools To perform the most menial of labors.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sort of see the obvious parallel to like Jesus being born in a manger, you know, this high Lord lowering himself to do the most base thing possible. But I also can't help but think that it's a metaphor for the shit show that is a lethe royalty. Yeah. So that so that was my first note. The other thing is about this. So why didn't the Radiance, fa- why did the Radiance fashion only weapons? Why didn't they give their secrets out to the common people? So it tells me Dalinar would be a huge proponent of Napster. He'd be spending a lot of time on Pirate Bay. he be really pissed off that he can't find I Will Refuse by Palehead. Is it an argument against intellectual property in the medical community? Mm. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay to source all those cadavers. <laughs> like, what? what's going on here? The other thing I thought was interesting is, and theres I have a lot of notes in this chapter, but the Alethi don't like to talk about the thrill. Right. Like, in a way that, from what I can tell, leads me to believe that, like, there's a certain degree of shame that they have about it.
1: It's interesting because every time it's been mentioned, or the taboo against talking about it has been mentioned, it's described as something that is private. So they're not maybe ashamed of it, but it's kind of like talking about-
0: Masturbating? Yeah.
1: I was going to say, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like your dad coming up to you and being like, hey, like, hey, Adolin, you masturbate, right? <laughs> Adolin's like, what? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what?
0: So, what kind of lotion do you prefer?
1: Oh. see, I'm.
0: See, you're already grossed I'm, out. I'm
1: uncomfortable.
0: Already grossed out.
1: So, it's that sort of taboo against talking about it. But it's interesting that you bring that up because we know that the Alethi came from the Radiants who were dedicated to fighting to protect all of Roshar. And we know that that. Noble purpose somewhere got lost along the way. So it would make sense if there was some sort of deep, deep cultural shame somewhere in the collective subconscious of the Alethi people. Yeah. That would make sense. And I think it's interesting, too. And again, a little bit of a commentary on how the Alethi are are kind of similar to our culture is how uptight the Alethi are when it comes to, like, sex and gender politics. Yeah. But when it comes to, like, violence and death, it's like, eh. Yeah,
0: whatever. I kind of suspect the way way that Dalinar harped on it, that the Almighty did leave something for the common people. I'm beginning to think that that thing is Stormlight itself, but just that they don't know how to use it to that end.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: Which could be because there were other kingdoms like the the Shins who were using it to sort of good, practical, common everyday purpose, but they're not the ones who got to win the war. So they're not the ones who got to write the history.
1: Where do you get that with the Shin?
0: The fact that they revere farmers.
1: But, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you were saying about the stormlight.
0: Oh, well, I... Maybe I misunderstood, but I have a prediction later that is clearly wrong.
1: (laughs) Or maybe I'm just confused. I'm burning myself on hot tea over here. Who knows what I'm saying?
0: I will save my points for later. (laughs) And if they are wrong, oh well. So I always thought this idea that God, the Almighty, needed the Alethi... To send him warriors in the afterlife to fight in the Tranquilin Halls was BS. But I do recall in the prelude that there were all these people who appeared to be coming from completely different times in history fighting bringers in some huge battle. So so maybe it's not. Maybe it's not BS.
1: Well, it's interesting, and that is talked about directly in this chapter. Again, it's talked about a bunch of times, this whole idea of the afterlife, and they believe that fighting is the highest calling because they're training for the great battle in the skies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's given so much poignancy, A, by the fact that we know that the Heralds lied to them, lied to the people about having won the war on Roshar. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's kind of where their this whole belief comes from. Oh, the Heralds told us they were going back to fight for the Tranquil and Halls, and now we have to be good fighters so we can go help them, you know? But we know that the Heralds didn't actually do that. They actually just kind of walked away. They got like a timeshare in Cabo or something. I they nope the fuck out. They noped the fuck out. So, I
0: am not doing this bullshit.
1: So right there, we know that like the source is flawed. And we also see though where, where that instinct to fight and protect comes from. And it's so sad how... You know, the Alethi were once these really noble protectors, and they just kind of got twisted by generation after generation having the wrong information or information just kind of getting watered down or warped to become who they were today.
0: So I noticed as well, a lot of what Dalinar is doing in the first part of this chapter, talking about being constructive, lines up a lot with what we see in Shinovar in our first interlude here. And also Seth being, you know, from Shinavar. Like, I can't help but think that there is some, like, that's a deliberate placement, you know, that we learn more about the Shin and what they value right after we see this sort of stuff going on with Dalinar. That his philosophy is becoming more like theirs, despite the fact that he doesn't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. And I think it's interesting, too, you know, if we're talking about Dalinar's leadership style to look at the influence he has on his men, because in one part of this chapter, they go to talk to the men that Sadius had interrogated Mm -hmm. while they were on the hunt. And they find that they (laughs) the men were actually probably a little too loyal yeah, because they they right away they come in and say, hey, so, you know, you talked to Sadius and they were like, we didn't tell him anything. We didn't <laughs> tell him anything. Bright Lord, don't worry. And he, they're like, oh, man,
0: <laughs> you seemed deliberately opaque. And now he's going to think you protest too much.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But in the last chapter that we saw Sadius he mentions to Dalinar that that so many of your men are like miniature versions of you. So we see that like trickle down of Mm -hmm. what a good leader looks like and the effect that it has on the people. Let's talk a little bit about Navani and Yasna.
0: Yasna calls on her Span Read, Motorola Razor Span Read. Right. Span Read by (laughs) T-Mobile. It's 99% good as a cell phone. (laughs) And Adeline's got his girlfriend there to scribe. She wasn't placed there on purpose at all. No. And Navani spends the whole time hitting on
1: Dalinar. Dalinar. Oh yeah, she's got it for him bad.
0: Don't you see how this could work? He's like, "Get out of here, girl! I'm trying to dig this latrine. Why are you bothering me?"
1: <laughs> One of my favorite. I got lines. a hammer,
0: hammer, and two words for you. Get out. <laughs>
1: That's this dramatic reenactment (laughs) brought to you by the Duke and Duchess podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very succinct synopsis. Yeah, that's pretty much what he says.
0: Shit rolls downhill. (laughs) I don't know what that means.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, One of my favorite lines from this chapter is uh, so Navani comes along and she reminds him that he's forgotten an appointment that he made with mm-hmm. her and she's just she's very forward with him she's like you know i really like you and i like this you know this honest thing and whatever and and um he says look my sense of honor makes me easy to manipulate i know it does there's no need for you to toy with me and just i don't know it just like oh he's just so noble and like straightforward go dalinar
0: he reminds me of jordan catalano what he does
1: what are you talking about
0: nivani's like don't you see how your weirdness intrigues me and he's like angela hang out with the band
1: dalinar is like the anti-jordan catalano okay like it if jordan catalano was the center of the earth then like Dalinar is like the sun in a different galaxy a far away I mean there's are you
0: are you trying to say that Jordan Catalano was not the protagonist
1: yeah that's pretty much what I'm saying
0: (laughs) was it Ray Ann McGrath
1: no was it Ricky definitely Angela what and now I mean I know you're messing with me and I'm still getting all all worked up look at me I didn't know I had such strong feelings about my so-called life. (laughs) She was a
0: Capulet. You can't trust those fuckers.
1: I just, Jordan Catalano was such a tool. Like, he's such a tool. Listen. Why?
0: All I'm saying is she is an incredible drama queen who is really bad for national security. She's mentally unstable. And I might be conflating homeland with (laughs) my so-called life.
1: I was like, we had very different high school experiences <laughs> if that's what you took from my so-called life.
0: I might have seen everything Claire Danes was in.
1: Oh, yeah, me too.
0: I think we both had a crush on Claire Danes. We
1: definitely did. <laughs> For sure. Well, that's established. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: All right, so... Oh. Let's talk about the... I got a couple other like little random things. Right. But let's talk about the content of the call.
1: Gotcha. Yes.
0: So first of all, Yasna's like, whatever you do, don't trust my mother.
1: Right. (laughs) Not the strongest relationship there.
0: Not only that, but that was just sort of a ham-fisted move.
1: Oh, Dalinar not telling her that she was listening.
0: Both of them, because he... on both of their parts, because he gave her a little code that said there are people in the room. Be careful what you say. And she's like, okay, next words out of her mouth. Don't
1: trust my mother. Right. So I think that just tells you that the relationship they have, Yasna has no problem. Other people hearing her say, don't trust my mother. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think she would. If if Dalinar was like, she's right here, Yasna would have been like, whatever whatever <laughs> moving on
1: i mean if dalinar is jordan catalano then yasna is daria
0: gotcha okay who's rayon mcgrath
1: Shalon, for sure
0: mm. okay all right
1: no Shalon is angela
0: yeah she's definitely angela
1: she's definitely angela does there have to be a Ray mcgrath is that There's, that was your favorite in
0: my dreams there are <laughs> This is fantasy that we're reading, right? <laughs> Just want to clarify.
1: Uh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> so the content of the call. So first we have, of course, the little dig against Navani. Mm-hmm. And then Dalinar wants Yasna to come home. I mean, on his end, that's what he's he's all about because he knows he's probably going to abdicate. And by the end of the conversation, he's decided that that's what he's going to do. So he really wants her to come and be a source of stability. He obviously trusts her more than he trusts Elokar. And one point that I had that I don't want it to get lost that I've never noticed before is when he's in the latrine, he's pounding the rocks and he's going back and forth about the reasons to abdicate, reasons to not abdicate. And the last one that he comes up with, a reason to abdicate that kind of almost seems to convince him is the fact that his behaviors are putting his sons in danger and he lists Elokar along with his sons i just thought that was interesting that he really does see the king as as one of not just his nephew yeah so you really can't question his loyalty there but yasna on her end just has questions first about the parshendi because we find out that Dalinar and his brother Gavilar were the first to come across the Parshendi just on of his random hunting trip. They they come across this band of Parshendi and they're they're amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, these Parshmen are like running around talking and stuff. And Yasna wants to know what was the first thing that they asked you and Dalinar tells her they wanted to see our maps. So whatever she's researching has something to do with that. And then she has her new ward, who we know is Shalan, draw a picture. And it's a picture that she's found in a very, very, very old text, probably one of the oldest in existence, that has a picture of what looks like a chasm fiend, but it's labeled a void bringer. So they realize and it's that. It's like
0: 40 stories tall.
1: Right. Doesn't look exactly like it, but whoever drew it obviously had seen a chasm fiend before. So obviously, the people in this. What's funny?
0: Sorry, I just remembered an episode of SpongeBob. Oh, yeah? Where one of the characters is a lobster called Larry, and he runs around. He's like a motivational speaker, and he's like... I remember Larry the Lobster. got to live like Larry. And I just... I see that picture of that Voidbringer.
1: And you see Larry the Lobster? Yeah, and
0: I see him standing over the <laughs> town and being like, people... <laughs> You've got to seize life. you're not living like Larry. They're all wearing little w. w. l. d. bracelets <laughs> i think I just think they're they're misunderstood. I don't think they're dangerous.
1: I mean the chasm fiends don't seem that scary to me anymore they, right. I, I pictured something more like a xenomorph, you know, but I don't know what that is. that's the uh monster from aliens
0: oh really, is that I think so. We might be losing nerd cred here.
1: Oh no. No. I don't watch scary movies. <laughs> just just right out there. I'm just putting that right out there. <laughs> no, you don't. I do not.
0: Yeah, so Yasna's like, I don't care about your kingdom drama bullshit. I'm trying to like I'm trying to figure out if there's a forty story tall crab.
1: Exactly.
0: Gonna eat the whole fucking country. Like that's you know
1: that's, put your bu- that's put your basically aside. the con- that's yeah. basically the conversation.
0: I have to say though in the prelude there was a description of a void bringer and it did not sound like that.
1: You are correct.
0: So the question I think then becomes one of a couple things. One there's different descri- the description we read of the void bringers is different because there are different types, which is highly mm-hmm. possible. There are different types of spren, why wouldn't there be different types of void bringers? Sorry. Two, this is sort of what Yasna said. It's not about somebody seeing a Voidbringer. It's about them having seen a chasm fiend and just reimagining it as that. Right. Or that's what a Voidbringer looks like. Right. So those are sort of our three possibilities.
1: What kind of stuck out to me reading this section was how interesting the division of gender roles is Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it a little bit before but seeing what it looks like for a general the second most important person in the kingdom to receive communication and the fact that he can't read he needs to have all of this important stuff read to him by a female i just think it's so interesting because in a lot of ways the division of gender roles is similar to our own society except for the whole women are the only ones who can read thing. And I just think it's a neat exploration of our own culture. When you look at like the differences in how women are respected and treated in Roshar and how you know historically they've been treated in our own culture. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, also I think that these extreme gender roles are, or have negative impacts on both genders.
1: Exactly. And so we see like these dynamics develop in the book and, what also develops is this statement, not only on how arbitrary gender roles are, but on the importance of reading, like just this one little change goes, you know, we look at historically women, if you look back at, at times where technology was similar mm-hmm. in our in our past, you know, and women were raising the families, doing the housework, doing like kind of menial chores, mm-hmm. but on Roshar, they're not relegated to that only They're the scholars, they're the historians, they have careers. And it's a bit confusing because in the beginning of the book, one of the first female characters we're introduced to is Shallan. And she's been very sheltered. She's been kept away by her father. And at this point, we start to see that that's actually not terribly typical. That's not what all light-eyed daughters go through. It's she had an abusive father who treated her that way. So we begin to see that on Roshar, women are a lot more independent. I just think it... It's an interesting statement on how important literacy is. Yeah. That it can make such a huge difference. Yeah. It's a, it's a, ma-
0: I mean, it's a massive foundational part of civilization.
1: It, and again, a commentary on how gender role expectations are kind of arbitrary and dumb yeah, yeah. and don't help either gender. Well, but I, it's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, Patrick Rothfuss's ADEM, the culture there, mm, yeah. where they had just very different, atypical, or, atypical views yeah. of of sex and and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. But I prefer this a little better. It seems a little less anvil hammerish. It's a little more subtle uh, for me.
0: I, I would agree with that for sure. The yeah the the ADEM, as far as that part of it goes. They were definitely hitting you in the head with it. There's no, there's no question about that.
1: Men so, are stupid. <laughs> they can't reproduce. Can't reproduce. Wham, wham, wham. Can't
0: fight. I don't know why we put up with you.
1: <laughs> but if I you like this. You didn't have
0: these fun floppy things. We just get rid <laughs> of you.
1: Um. So I wrote down as this. As soon quote. as we
0: learn how to mold plastic, you fuckers are out. <laughs>
1: Well, and two, the Adem had the, the whole taboo against singing, and it was kind of a commentary on our taboo against nudity and sexuality yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, for me, it was always that was always a little bit on the nose, too, like too heavy handed for me right. personally. I like the way that Brandon Sanderson approaches this, and one quote that stuck out to me that I wrote down was, "A good light eyes officer was really a team: the man to command and fight, the woman to read, write, and engineer and manage camp." In Althcar, so here we have in Althcar and Carbranth, we see women, they're functioning almost on equal footing. Yeah. You know?
0: So one thing I noted here, too, is that Elikar's scribe is Sadius' cousin. Yes. That's a terrible
1: idea. Absolutely.
0: No wonder Sadius is 10 steps ahead of Dalinar at all times, because... Whenever, whenever Dalinar is not around and elicar is writing something down, he's, he might as well be in the room. Yeah. So a couple of other notes I had. So Yasna is a Verist Italian. Yes. A true Italian.
1: Or a Verist Italian.
0: Verist Italian. But if she was a true Italian, her name would be Mary. Yeah. It says here she's seeking the truth through history. Dalinar doesn't seem to get that the history that he knows isn't really the real history. Right. Just doesn't even cross his mind. Even when she's apparently tried to explain it to him, he doesn't understand it.
1: Right. And could we talk for a minute about Taleb? Sure. Who is like kind of low-key, super funny in this chapter.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so Taleb is is one of Dalinar's, and we've seen him mentioned a couple of times, one of Dalinar's officers. And we should mention too, in the beginning of this chapter, we see them testing out a new set of bridges. Mm-hmm. Because Adolin and his men have been kind of wanting Dalinar to try using man-carried bridges. Dalinar has been against it. He says, you know, I wouldn't want to carry a bridge so I wouldn't make someone else do it. But Teleb had suggested, what about we re- using man-carried bridges up to the assault and then letting the Chulls drag the final bridges over? That way the bridge men aren't getting shot full of arrows. Dalinar agreed. He doesn't want to, but he kind of agrees. This is when he's starting to doubt himself. He agrees to let them try. So they're having this trial run of these new, this new bridge system, and it fails, it's it's not going to work. So I think that's very significant in this chapter that Dalinar is kind of seeing what he thinks are signs that, okay, my way of doing things is not going to work. Maybe mm-hmm. I should just let someone else do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh, but teleb but the funny part is that Teleb is, you know, of course, he's aghast when Dalinar starts digging the latrine with his sharply. Mm-hmm. And when Dalinar jumps in, he goes, he says, he's like, you, you men just go and take it easy. And so eventually Talib like it's tired of everyone's just standing around staring at him. He's he like, you go, go sit down and converse in a lighthearted manner. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> go look like you're having fun. I'm telling you, I mean, it's not right for a light eye general to be taking a shard blade and just sticking it in any shit holy he finds. That's right. <laughs>
1: it's
0: not Right.
1: So I also think you have to note that we they talk a little bit about how the Parshendi fight.
0: They do. So the whole Chasm Fiends, Voidbringers, Parshendi connection, it's unsettling to me. How so? Well, I just... I, if they, and we don't know that they are, if they are saying that the Voidbringers and the Chasm Fiends are related... And the Parshendi worship the Voidbringers, or excuse me, worship the Chasm Fiends, does that mean the Parshendi worship the Voidbringers? Are the Parshendi the evil people? Are the Parshendi the bad guys? And are all the, ba- the bad guys black? Like...
1: So the Parshendi have marbled skin.
0: Yeah, I, I know. We've talked about it. It's just... It's a little, I don't know. It seems seems a little strange, but we'll, I'll go with it. I don't know enough to to be so critical. So
1: some of their skin is white marbled red. Okay. Like it's not, I mean, yes, they are a different skin color than the rest, but mm. most Alethi are dark skinned as well. If that helps. Okay. In fact, I think pale skin is very rare on Roshar, from what I can tell. So interlude four is either called ricin or risen. Chime in, audiobook listeners. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to call her ricin because that's what I call her in my brain. There you go. In this interlude, we meet ricin, a trader's apprentice. She's traveling with her master, Stim to the strange land of the shin where the grass doesn't retract like an imbecile and crazy non-carapist beasts abound we learn a bit about the shin and shinavar through her eyes while the stem trades junk metal for chickens so we learn a bit about the shin in this intro yeah
0: we see about the shinavar we get to to experience or at least the edge of the valley of truth
1: that's right has a nice ring to it doesn't it yes I think it's some clever storytelling here because we're able to get a bit of exposition without it seeming clunky in the guise of Ryson being taught about the Shin by her mentor um, in that he is a a tradesman, so he needs to know about all these different people, and he's explaining to her how to best deal with them.
0: And you're using the word mentor because the word they use in the book is impossible to pronounce babsk yeah schlabelgeb <laughs> schgelübede doo yeah like pff.
1: he's her mentor
0: it's like it's like Brandon Sanderson just threw his finger down on the keyboard and went <laughs> just a just- bunch
1: of consonants right there well you know it's interesting because this has come up before so it's consistent at least because stim and ricin are thalen and yes, The last time we saw true. this was with the Thalen Sailors, and that's we were true. like, yeah. we made the same joke. So, hey, but, we're we're getting the bang for our buck out of that one. Okay, listen,
0: you, no, but we didn't promise you a thirty hour, <laughs> thirty minute set of like primo comedy here, right? Like,
1: <laughs> it's not going to be new material. Every podcast.
0: And that's ridiculous. <laughs> Nobody's got that kind of time. <laughs> So I had a couple of notes here. I like the comparison of the land and seeing just how different it is and how soft it is and how I thought it was interesting that she's like kind of weirded out by it. Like it's gross. I don't like it. It's icky. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's really entertaining to read about yeah. an earth like landscape mm-hmm. through Rosharan eyes. Yeah. And the soil is springy and she's like, Ugh. She's like
0: this whole thing is going to blow away.
1: I really like how she describes the the grass that doesn't retract and the trees that don't retract as seeming like they're dead or mm-hmm. like drooling. She said it's a, like like a man who wasn't born with his brains right and just stares at the wall drooling. Yeah,
0: she calls so, it a wall-staring imbecile grass.
1: <laughs> the imbecile grass. Yeah,
0: and I, I experienced that. I, I had wall-staring imbecile grass a couple times in college. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So a couple of other notes I had in here. First, no spren in Shinovar. No Chinovar. spren
1: in Shinovar.
0: mm Because they thrive on misery, these little fuckers. <laughs> Dirty little bastards. So this is where Seth comes from. Yes. And they have these soldiers, so people who have picked up weapons, uh have to become soldiers, and it's a lowly position within the society. Right. So it seems like a very deliberate comparison against the Alethi. But also, more to the point, it's not being a soldier or picking up a weapon that makes you truthless. Correct. So there's something else that Seth had to have done. Yes. And it seems like it was a relatively singular event. It does so
1: so there are other shin soldiers warriors who are treated as slaves who are traded by oath stones like seth mm-hmm. is but when vestim asks thresh the farmer that he's trading with if he will sell him another one he says basically "is like no we we don't usually sell soldiers and i didn't really sell you that guy I you insisted that I take payment and I had to throw it in the river. I couldn't take money for a truthless. And and then he says, you know, I, I really hope we're not ever going to get another one like him. Yeah. So yes, yeah, Shinovar is an interesting little pocket of something that seems familiar to us. Mm-hmm. And it kind of highlights how alien Roshar is. But it's guarded by these mountains. So there are no high storms there. No high storms, no spren. And they refuse to use fabrials, They give every excuse in the book why they don't want to use them, but they they won't use them. And it's it's just an interesting contrast to the prevailing culture everywhere else in the landmass. Warriors are the lowest class. Farmers are the highest class. Those who create are revered. Those who take away or destroy are denigrated. So we've heard about them kind of worshiping stone or revering stone through Seth's inner monologue. He talks about like the blasphemy of walking on stone. Mm -hmm. And here in the scene, they're trading for metal that has been soul cast. So it hasn't been rock hasn't been smelted or broken to create it. And that's the only kind that they'll use. But I guess they're very, it's very prized for them.
0: Because they, again, they don't use fabrials.
1: And they exactly, they won't use fabrials. And they seem to value humility and truth above all else. And it's so interesting. why are we spending
0: more time with these people? Right.
1: But it's very interesting because they they talk about the Valley of Truth, capital T. And we've seen that word with the capital a couple of times. But one time that jumped out to me recently was the last time that we heard Dalinar having the Way of Kings read to him. Mm-hmm. And in the in the scene where he's reading about the candle flames... Yeah. being like the lies of men and nohadan however you pronounce that the author is is talking about how how can he know what is true capital t so i just think it's significant we know that the way of kings is reflective of a much 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 older time and for me it gives the impression that that shinovar and their way of doing and thinking is reflective of that much, much, much older time as well. And it makes me wonder, like, is Shinovar, was that what the whole landmass was like at one point? Was their culture kind of the last holdout of what things were? Reminds me a little bit of like, oh, never mind, that would be a spoiler for Wheel of Time. No, 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 not for this series, but for another one that I know you're Mm. going to finish eventually.
0: Oh, Wheel of Time? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I might read all the time. So the other thing I noted here is the Babichuk or whatever his name is. The Vestim. Vestim says if you can carve anything out of wood or clay or whatever and then just soul cast it into metal. It causes me to think that if you had that ability that these people should be much further along technologically than they are.
1: Well, it's interesting because we've seen, you know, in a lot of ways, the Alephi resemble a medieval society, sort of, they they ride horses, they mm-hmm. use swords as weapons. But plate a, armor. Yeah. A plate armor, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, though, they have these fabrials that create heat, that create coldness that mm-hmm. can communicate over long distances so in some ways their technology is is advanced
0: yeah and and magical
1: and magical so it's just interesting because and for me I think it all comes down to the existence of the high storms so like how has that impacted the development of their technology you're not going to create railroads, you know, that are just going to get ripped up and blown away. Yeah, yeah. You know, imagine a, a place where literally have a hurricane once a week, you yeah, know?
0: You're not going to have irrigation. Exactly. You can't.
1: You're not going to have air travel. You know, who's going to no, do yeah, that? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, we see in the picture of the radiance in Dalinar's vision, we see that at one point, there was so much more possible than what with the shards with the
0: yeah through the, through the use of stormlight
1: through the use of stormlight that they're only scratching the surface so a lot of it's been lost. So one question that I'm left with at the end of this interlude is, okay, Vistim was the one who bought Seth. He bought him from this guy Thresh, mm-hmm. and every time he sees Thresh, he asks if he'll sell him another soldier. Because he got so much money for the last one and he was the best servant I ever had. Tales of the Assassin in white are like well known. Everyone knows yeah. what happened there. How does Vestim not realize that his shin warrior that he bought...
0: Well, is it known that he's that he's shin?
1: Yeah. A shin warrior oh, that's true. with yeah, a shard yeah, yeah. blade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well known that, that that's who killed the Alethi king and started all this crazy stuff. How does he not realize...
0: Well, I get the impression, and, and we talked we talked about this before a few episodes ago. I get the impression that Shin are not on un, that uncommon.
1: No, but a Shin warrior.
0: Well, and with an oath stone.
1: Well, I guess it wouldn't be known that he had an oath stone, but
0: yeah, not not amongst common people, but but I think for I think for folks like him who, you know, Shins aren't you don't see them everywhere. But they're not also not uncommon, you know? But a Shin
1: warrior who's owned by the Parshendi, like, who else is that going to be?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: not like there's a lot of them floating around not being owned by other Shin.
0: Well, also, it's sort of what, what you said as well, that Dalinar should know more about it as well. But he just doesn't ever seem to think of it.
1: That just bugs me. It's a small thing.
0: Well, Dalinar apparently had his memory wiped.
1: Yes. It seems that way.
0: And he was drunk as hell. Yes. When it happened.
1: That's true. Interlude 5 is called Axes the Collector. Or Axies the Collector. I don't know. I'm going to call him Axies. Axies the Collector wakes up hungover and naked in the city of Casator. If I had a nickel. Axes is an Amian, a very interesting race of whom there are very few remaining. Axes is a scholar of some sort who is studying new kinds of spren. He has recently managed to see an ale spren, which only seemed to appear in Irali. He heads to the harbor to see one of the strangest spren yet, Kuzikesh the Protector.
0: Good job. Bravo.
1: This is an enormous sea blue spren that appears at exactly the same time and place every day. Axes is so delighted to see two new spren in as many days that he is hardly dampened when he ends up being arrested for public indecency.
0: This is a weird goddamn chapter.
1: I get such a chuckle out of this chapter. I really do.
0: I know you said this is like your favorite chapter in the book.
1: No, no, I, I don't. Oh. I wouldn't go that far. Okay, all but right. I do get a real chuckle out of Axie's, and so Axie's wakes up naked and hungover, passed out in an alley, and he's laying in a pile of trash and there's a there's an old beggar sitting there and he's like you're you know you're slept in my alley you owe me rent and he's like and you destroyed the temple and he, he eventually he kind of looks down and realizes all of this trash has been like set up painstakingly in the shape of a city and the ba- there's just the interchange between him and the beggar pretty humorous. Who's yeah, yeah, pretending to be the god of this city and he puts his foot down he's like that was a bakery you know
0: yeah 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 <laughs> It's pretty humorous.
1: I just get a kick out of it. I thought it was funny.
0: So the first, so I'm I'm like, a, not even a paragraph in, it says he changes his nose so he doesn't have to smell so much. I'm like, what? This motherfucker is a shapeshifter. He's a shapeshifter straight out of the movie Memento, because he can't remember a goddamn thing and he has to write everything down on his body.
1: Yeah, it did remind me of that movie too.
0: So This is a weird goddamn chapter.
1: Right, so axes is an. Why alien. are there shapeshifters
0: running around?
1: Why aren't there shapeshifters running around? I think is the question.
0: But, well, we get into these interludes, and like we've really only seen like this very small piece of this area, and it. I mean, there's definitely some high magic stuff going on, but the people that we see for the most part seem relatively normal. They don't. They're not like superheroes, you know. And then, you know, we have Seth, who's this one random wild card. But every time we get into these, um, every time we get into these interludes, we find more characters who are like weird ass one offs with like crazy abilities, like the guy from the last one who apparently can travel between planets, and this guy who's a fucking centuries old shapeshifter. Like, it's just it, what. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. So the Plus, e- these motherfuckers have watches. What the fuck's up with that? <laughs> How do they have wristwatches? <laughs> In the last one I was complaining because I didn't think their technology was was far enough along for what they can do with soul casting. Now I'm telling you that they have wrist watches, and I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> what is going on? It's a weird goddamn chapter. And how is there a hundred foot tall Spren and nobody said shit about it to this point?
1: Well, I think there is shit being said about it right now. I mean, who would you have expected expected to talk about this Spren up until now? Nobody,
0: because everybody's thousands of miles away.
1: Right. So he's in in a country, um Iriali, called Iriali. The Iriali are people with golden hair, like not blonde, but like Mm -hmm. shimmering golden. And I think Axes. so we have this, yes, Axes is a shapeshifter. However, it's established pretty early on that most of his kind are wiped out. It says that his homeland was scourged. And he draws looks because most people have never seen one of his kind before.
0: And his shadow face is the wrong way.
1: How cool is that?
0: I don't know, man.
1: I think it's pretty cool.
0: That's some lost bullshit right there. There better be a goddamn reason for that or I'm burning this fucking book. And by book, I mean my nook and I might burn it anyway because it's a piece of shit. That's a whole other. podcast. When are you going to
1: go Kindle?
0: I can't now. I'm committed. I've spent too much money in the goddamn Barnes & Noble nook store.
1: I mean, you could. Okay, we'll get into that later. Each well, generation, really their cool. devices
0: get worse.
1: It's the curse of kind. <laughs> but for e-readers. Right, I'll take it. Well, I think Axes is a really cool character. And I think it it's, it's refreshing and entertaining to have like just something a little out of left field thrown at you just to give you an idea of the scope of the world.
0: No, it's cool. I'm I'm, I'm sounding like I'm somehow upset about it. I'm not. It's just it's more mind equals blown. You
1: know? Right, and we well, we've got the mystery of the spren building and building. So in this interlude, mm-hmm. we get a little bit more information. You know, Axes is a scholar who studies spren.
0: Yeah, so he real- talks
1: about how mm-hmm. unpredictable they are. Yeah, that even the most common types sometimes just don't show up, and you don't know why. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got this huge giant spren that shows up at the same time and place every day, like a it's shaped like a giant water spout that forms human-looking faces that stare out towards the origin. Yeah. And it's just saps refreshing. the energy, saps the yeah. energy from everyone who's watching it.
0: Yeah, it's just refreshing to have a spren that wakes up five times a day and prays to Mecca.
1: <laughs> one time a day, but that's okay.
0: Also, he says it's one of the largest he's ever seen.
1: One of the largest? Meaning there are other 100-foot-tall
0: fucking spren in the world.
1: How cool is that? What the hell?
0: So in the last chapter, we find out, or I guess two chapters ago, in chapter 28, we find out there's a big mama chasm fiend. Now we find out there's a big mama water sprint. I'd like to comment more on it. Like, I feel like there, I should be able to get more from this, but it really doesn't shed light. It just kind of adds more to the mystery.
1: This is a nice layer of mystery. You know, Mm we have this this whole race of people that was apparently scourged that that is under some kind of curse or at least Axis feels like he's under some kind of curse. You know, when he's initially he's talking to the beggar, he says, I should probably get away from him. I don't want to bring him any more bad luck. You know, and then he he says something about something called the curse of kind that he's Mm -hmm. you just get used to bad things happening to you when you have this because that's just what happens. And he does, you know, toward the end, his his blanket that he has wrapped around his waist gets snatched away and he's being hauled off for public indecency. And he's like, well, what are you going to do now? Maybe I'll have a chance to search for captivity, Spren.
0: Yeah. um, So the only other note I have in here is I get the sense from a couple things he said that spren some spren are geographically bound.
1: Yes. Yes, cuz he tells us that ale spren or sud's spren or intoxication spren whatever mm-hmm. uh, only appear in this country. Duff spren. Duff spren.
0: <laughs> so
1: uh natty bow spren. <laughs> Sorry.
0: So you know, it makes me wonder are they geographically bound because of certain things that are in the ground? Like we find certain gemstones in certain areas, and so they're tied, or are they geographically bound because it's their proximity to the origin or their proximity to the shattered plains? You know, and the further away you get, and when we get the furthest away. And we get in Shinovar. There are no Spren at all. So, you know, it's that's not accidental. Like, there's something going on there, but I can't can't wrap my head around exactly what it is. (laughs) Maybe this big ass bitch is sucking up all the Spren energy, Mm. and she's the only one who can be there. (laughs) No other Spren can survive her.
1: There can be only one, Like what you yeah.
0: Like that giant-ass tree we used to have out in our backyard that destroyed everything around it. Yeah. Because it came alive and started eating them.
1: Maybe. You don't know.
0: <laughs> you weren't here. You can't dispute me.
1: So, interlude six. <sighs> it's called a work of art.
0: You know what I called it?
1: What did you call it? Rocket Man. <laughs>
0: That's my name for Seth. Right? Rocket man. <laughs> Burning out his fumes out here. Alone.
1: Sad, sad rocket man.
0: Mm-hmm. Plus, he kind of looks like Stewie from Family Guy.
1: Yes, he does. Bald head, big round eyes.
0: That's right. Wants to kill your mama. I don't know if that second part's true. But... <laughs>
1: So, in this chapter, Seth is still working for Mackech, the footpad. With Seth's help, Mackech has been able to build quite the little criminal empire. On a mission to take care of one of Mackech's rivals, Seth finds himself suddenly changing hands again. The servant of his new owner tells Seth that he is a work of art who is being wasted. He gives Seth a list of people to assassinate that includes six high princes, a Sele-Jerontarch, and the king of Yaakoved. Seth is dismayed, but he's prepared to obey anyway. What else can he do? What else can you do, Seth?
0: I don't know. Grow a fucking pear and stop being bound to a stupid rock. Fucking idea for you. Hot shot. (laughs) I didn't think that was that funny, but
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good delivery. Thank you. You're saying what everyone's thinking. (laughs) thank you. (laughs)
0: oh my goodness
1: so a lot of notes on Seth in this chapter obviously yeah, not much changes for him as far as development uh, but his trajectory plot wise has changed so far since since the assassination of the king he's just been kind of being passed around to various farmers, criminals here and there Uh, but now he's back with someone who knows what he can do who is going to use him to rock the world at some point in the chapter, we also see Seth sort of starting to question some things and right away kind of pushing those questions aside. You know, he's walking around through the city and he kind of thinks, you know, how can it be blasphemous to walk on stone? Like, where else are these people supposed to walk? Like, there's no soil here. How how, how can it be blasphemous? And then he's like, whoa, if I start questioning that. La, 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 la. Exactly. Yeah. So his belief system, we find out, is called stone shamanism. And if he starts to question that, he says that's going to put his soul in peril.
0: I knew a stone shaman in college. Did you?
1: I think oh, I dated a stone shaman.
0: I'm sorry. You said stone shaman.
1: Not stoned uh, shaman.
0: It's completely different. Never mind. Go on. Yeah, so I I a couple notes here. The first and the one I thought that was mo- the most interesting is... It went in that moment when he's talking about all the people, you know, in the town, he says they ignored the spirits of the things that lived around them. And I thought the spirits of the things that live around them sounds distinctly like Spren to me. Yeah. And it's not that. And I don't think he means ignore them as in literally ignoring them. I think what he means is not recognizing them for what they are. You know, and so that's a little bit more evidence or, or a little bit more if he's telling the truth or if he's accurate in the idea that the spren are the spirits of the different things that we find in the world, emotions and elements and different things. And that sort of makes sense to me. I can kind of see how that would make sense. And we also see in Rock how... And rock comes from an area that's kind of north and east in the area, Mm -hmm. in the mountains, where they do have some sort of almost spiritual religious reverence for Spren that we don't see in the people who live in the eastern part of the continent. So it leads me to believe that what he's saying here is true. However, we also found out in one of the previous ones that there don't appear to be any Spren in Shinovar, at least not that, that Ryson was able to see, for whatever that means. Another quote is, he says, "Maket could draw the Alethi away from the Shattered Plains, bringing war to Jockaved." And it made me wonder, and, and it may not be the Parshendi, but but my question is, did the Parshendi draw the Alethi to the Shattered Plains? Because this is the place where those assholes can do the least amount of damage is sort of like at an Irish wedding when you put the two brothers inside the (laughs) sandbox and just be like now leave let them fight you know and just everybody else can come over here and have fun like is it just like point those stupid warlike assholes over to here where they can't can't cause that much damage I don't think that's what's going on I
1: think that's where they're from because well, when Dalinar is, mm-hmm. is telling Yasna about the first time that they found the Parshendi, that's where they were.
0: Yeah, just south of the Shattered Plains.
1: Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. on hunting, hunting a great shell.
0: Well, and they clearly seem to want to defend something in the air, the gem right. like right. So I don't think it. I don't think it's that, but but it just it's an interesting idea that with the Alethi and the Parshendi kind of fighting over here, the rest of the continent is relatively safe from those assholes relatively because if because if it, they weren't there they'd be invading Jockaved or phalan or something
1: else. yeah that's a good point we also learn about seth that he's required to carry the shard blade until his death after which the shin stone shamans will recover it so he's not just like loose in the wind like they're somehow they'll over, not maybe not overseeing him but should he die there's no there's no way someone else is going to get that shard blade
0: yeah I think that's going to be tough <laughs> that's they're going to have to somebody's going to die because of that the other thing that's, so the thing that's weird to me about about Seth too is what makes Seth so incredibly dangerous he's got a shard blade and he knows how to surge bind right it's not like he grew up some sort of super soldier. They don't have a warlike culture there. It's that it's really the it's the storm or the surge binding right that makes the difference. And I can't help but think that that's why he's truthless. Hmm. Whether it's because he can do that, or because he used it in some violent way.
1: So we've seen Seth mention something about why he's truthless and it had to do with the void bringers in the prologue, in the very first fight that Seth has,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he is, he's talking about stormlight and he's talking about how it leaks out of the human body. And he says he had heard that the void bringers could hold it in perfectly, but then did they even exist? His punishment declared that they didn't. His honor demanded that they did.
0: Wow. I'm so confused.
1: So did the Voidbringers exist? Something that seems like nobody knows. Yeah. It seems like his punishment is because he says they exist.
0: Maybe he saw something. The man who knew too much.
1: If you see something, say something. <laughs> if you see a 40-foot crab...
0: You should tell somebody.
1: Call this hotline.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they have span reads, so there's no reason you shouldn't.
1: Right. So we're, we're talking about Seth's punishment as a truthless. Mm-hmm. And we know that the shin of our... We know that the shin value honesty above pretty much everything else honesty and making things oh
0: so he lied he cried he cried chasm fiend and they were like there's no chasm fiend we exile you you dirty fucker
1: i mean that's what that sentence seems to indicate to me his punishment you can't
0: live in the valley of truth because you are truthless
1: when he says, "Did the void bringers exist?" His punishment declares that they did not, but his honor demands that they did.
0: Listen, how can one hundred and fifty thousand Shin be wrong?
1: They live in the Valley of Truth, right? Growing beets and shit.
0: <laughs> so he clearly is wrong.
1: He's clearly wrong.
0: He's clearly wrong. He
1: clearly deserves a life of exile and horrible torment.
0: Absolutely, where he learns to be the most dangerous motherfucker on the planet. Exactly, Rocket
1: Man. <laughs> so, mm. does that make sense to you?
0: It does it makes more sense. A couple people on Twitter were or on Facebook were like, "Oh, I can't wait to see Chad get out his tinfoil hat for this one, and I'm sitting here like i I don't even know where the tinfoil is. Are we even <laughs> in a kitchen like <laughs> like like I feel like if I was in a different Brandon Sanderson book, maybe I could eat the aluminum and burn it off and gain some sort of <laughs> knowledge, but that's not how this one works. So I'm just confused as hell. I don't know what's going on. So it, it probably doesn't help that this this week I didn't finish until like the reading until yesterday, so I didn't have as much time to digest this stuff right. as I normally get. You know, to kind of think it through,
1: and it is a lot of disjointed information thrown at you in the interludes. It's not a narrative that's carrying over, so no, you no, continue no. your train of thought.
0: Oh, and that's fine. I like that about books. And like, I'm acting like I'm agitated, and I right. am. I am agitated.
1: It's but all the tea, he,
0: the the Earl Grey. Yes. Yeah, not the testosterone. I lost that. <laughs> I lost that shit seven or eight years ago. When the last kid was born. That's what kids do. That's what they fucking do to you. Suck
1: the hormones right out of you.
0: Right out of you. Spilled right out on the floor.
1: Are you sure that wasn't life spread?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It was soppy wet footprints everywhere I went, though. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah. So this this section has been very confusing. I mean, I feel like I got, like, Two or three more pieces of the puzzle, like I can get a little bit more of the skyline in the background and the jigsaw puzzle that is this this world. but I also feel like I realized that the 500 piece puzzle that I was working on has just become a thousand piece puzzle that I didn't realize.
1: That's a really good description. And I think that that really describes how a lot of people have been have feel at this point in the book, and a lot of people kind of tend to lose patience right here.
0: I can understand it,
1: so what would you say are your main questions at this point?
0: I mean, the main questions at this point really comes down to who who the fuck are these people, and why should I care?
1: What do you mean when you say these people so
0: like from an from a n- so what I mean is like from a narrative sense, I've spent all my time dealing with these Alethi people who are, for the most part, a bunch of bastards, right? Right. I don't like them. And there doesn't... They're fighting these Parshendi who I don't know a goddamn thing about. And, like... So there's a a clear, like, supposed-to-be-protagonist, clear supposed-to-be-antagonist. I feel like neither of them... Really can hold that role in in the story, and from a storytelling standpoint, I feel like there's a larger sort of conflict, but I don't know a goddamn thing about it. So it's like, it's like, it's like being an hour and a half into Henry V Shakespeare play before you realize it was really Macbeth the whole time, but I don't know if. I'm watching Macbeth or Twelfth Night. Like, what the fuck book am I reading? Like, I don't know. Like, and then we have all these disparate parts, right? Like, and, and I get that all this is gonna come together, but I'm I'm in that stage where it's like, I can't see how Kaladin fits in with Yasna. I can't see how Spren fit fit in with gem hearts, but I know those fuckers are connected somehow. Like it but the world is getting bigger around me. Like this little fantasy world is growing and every time it grows with each chapter, I get more questions, less answers.
1: I I think that's a really good way of putting it.
0: And it's The nature, I think, of the way we read this, we've talked about this before, but because we read it so slowly and we take it and we digest it, we don't get to plow through and just learn uh, like the big rocks, the big things quickly. We have to slowly take it apart and chew it, you know, eat the elephant one slow agonizing bite at a time, you know, and very slowly start to answer these questions. It allows us to be thorough, but it can sometimes be frustrating.
1: Yeah, I think that's a totally valid. I for sure enjoy this book so much more having read the next two. Yeah. Because it is amazing the level of of detail that is that is caught the the tiny th- almost seemingly throwaway plot threads that come back 2,000 pages later. And I'm reading, you know, every time I read, it, I'm like, oh my gosh, That, yeah. you know, 2,000 pages later, that's going to be important. And that's like, it's, it is it mind boggling. It is huge in scope. But I definitely experienced some, well, I remember when I first got this book and I just read Mistborn and I loved it. And you were like, oh, how is it? And I was like, oh, I, I can't, I couldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one came out and people kept raving about it so I, I finally I finished it and I was like oh okay you know it, it had enough character beats enough emotional beats that I could connect to that I was invested enough to carry it through Yeah, and it, it wasn't until really getting through Oathbringer that some of the huge things clicked into place and I and it just but it blew my mind so yeah. for me it's like it's worth it and I'm hoping that our process that we have is going to help those things click into place sooner and you know some of our listeners have expressed i would say similar frustrations yeah some of our discussions have been around uh, all of the mysteries and and is there a point to this is it just kind of throwing it out there for the sake of it
0: i know felicia and i are on the same page
1: right (laughs) but uh, my hope is one thing i'm hoping this podcast can do is walk through it with people together and and point out things like, oh, hey, yeah, that's actually not a mystery. You know, in the prologue, it says that he's truthless because of this or little things like that to make it more readable.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. And those things, these ideas of seeds that are planted that are fulfilled books later is one of the things I love about epic fantasy So it's one of the things I love about a song of ice and fire. Now I feel like those in that series, those sort of things are more character driven and more human. And so you experience them a little bit differently.
1: Well, that's a very low magic world. And I think that kind of makes a difference. Absolutely. The, The landscape is familiar. The culture is familiar. They are character-driven.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think with this one, I made the Lost comparison. Yes. Because, you know, in Lost, you get a you have a giant fucking smoke monster, you know, and random-ass things showing up that never fucking get explained, right? And you feel completely lost, but it also gives you this sense of sort of alien and mystery and so on and so forth. Now, I say Lost... But I, I had no faith that loss was ever gonna fulfill any of that shit, and it didn't. I was right. I don't really feel that way about Brandon Sanderson. I feel very confident that he is going to pay these things off. So I say that in a joking manner. I don't really want to equate it to loss, but it's funny to equate it to loss because right now that's kind of what it feels like.
1: That's okay. I, I think. I think a lot of people would agree with you at this point. So I'm really excited to continue to watch your reactions and and watch some of this stuff fall into place. We're really actually a fair clip into this book. Yeah, are, about are we halfway. Quite we're pretty much the halfway mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it is going to keep rolling downhill from here. I'm I'm pretty excited for the next couple of book clubs.
0: <laughs> okay. Good. Good.
1: So anything else on interlude six?
0: No, I don't have anything else on interlude six.
1: So we did talk um, a little bit about Seth's new master, but. Oh yeah. I think we want to point out that. um, So Seth has a new master guy has his old stone.
0: This is the, this I'm sorry. I'm bringing it back a little bit, but right. this is the stuff that i when I'm like, who the fuck are these people? This is what I mean. Right. Like, who the fuck are these people? Like like I don't feel I don't feel like we've met even a quarter of the cast. Like I don't feel like we have met the real antagonists.
1: Yeah, we'll just have to find out.
0: And then it's like these guys show up and they're like, "Here's a hit list of all these people we want you to kill." And I'm like, "Who the f- like, who the fuck are these people? Like, I have no fucking clue who these people are.
1: Well, we know that he, whoever it is does not sound Vaden, and he has a soul caster. And apparently he's able to walk into a middle to high level criminal lord and behead him within seconds.
0: So I don't believe it's, so the Parshendi are the only ones who seem to have a motivation that would line up with killing these people. Although why they would want to kill Thalens and the King of Jockovet, I can't even begin to fucking guess. Other than apparently they're the Voidbringers and the Voidbringers are bad, so why not just and twiddle our sh- carapace encrusted you know mustaches and you know and laugh maniacally? I don't think it's the Parshendi, but beyond that, no goddamn clue.
1: So no predictions there.
0: Not a goddamn one. Not a one. All right, so let's talk about listener interactions. On our Facebook page, Ian James Crone asked if anybody had started a Goodreads group for us, and we said no. And so he went ahead and did that, which I think is really awesome.
1: That is fantastic.
0: So as we are sitting here doing this podcast right now, I'm I just logged in, and I'm attempting to join it and it, it, it i don't know that i can because it asks me who would the duke cast as tempe <laughs> and i don't i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember who i cast as tempe
1: i remember you don't remember
0: oh john goodman oh, yeah, that's right <laughs>
1: oh that's However, right yes listeners who did not listen to our king killer episodes the duke thinks that john goodman would be a great tempe you, you know, don't know st- who that is it's okay
0: i stand by that
1: but now you can join the goodreads group
0: <laughs> i stand by that
1: <laughs> I'm i'm not backing off of that one way to bring up old wounds there that's all right <laughs>
0: I think if you put any Swedish name in there, it should <laughs> automatically allow you to pass. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know how to work that out. We also had several really good threads started. In fact, the activity level that we've had on the Facebook page has been pretty damn tremendous. I mean, we've had some people starting uh, threads that have had 60, 75, 80 comments on the first day.
1: We're having a great time on that Facebook page. Why don't you just take a second and give them, tell them the link for it.
0: So that can be found at facebook.com backslash groups, backslash the D D group. So on there, Brian McClure started one that said, what's the first fantasy book or series you read? Mine was the Chronicles of Narnia. And then a lot of folks go in and talk about, you know, what was their introduction to fantasy?
1: The Crystal Cave, Mary Stewart.
0: That was... I read, Always and forever. I read that right after Lord of the Rings. So that was my second series. Yeah. All but the last 50 pages.
1: <laughs> of course. <laughs> I should go back and actually read it.
0: And then Ian James Crone also started a thread saying, tell me what you're reading now or listening to now. No spoilers. And so we had a lot... That one had a lot of activity as well. There was also a pretty lengthy discussion about whether people like a a hard magic system, a more codified magic system, or a soft magic system, sort of like a low magic system, or a combination of both. So we had a lot of talk about that. Plus several other threads. I It was really too much to try to summarize. Daryl also posted one that I enjoyed personally because it said, a live look at Chad trying to figure out Spren, and it's, you know, the the meme of the guy trying to, you know, do algebra in his head and carry the one. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's about what it feels like too.
1: And shout out to Theo and Felicity who both uh, had long kind of reaction posts to the sections that we're reading and sparked some really good conversation. A lot of people are very passionate about this book and what we like and what we don't like. And uh, I just, I love having this group to to nerd out with.
0: There is one frustrating thing that's been going on on social media, which is that our Twitter account is broke.
1: Broke-ass Twitter account. Has one. Broke-ass fucking Twitter account.
0: So, uh, you know, the thing about Twitter is you don't pay for it. And uh, y- the helpers at Twitter are AI bots. <laughs> so... <laughs> when, they
1: do their best.
0: Those bots are trying really hard, but uh, our Twitter account is all busted up. You can still interact with us on Twitter, but we apparently cannot follow you, so we can't follow you back. It makes it uh, difficult for us, but we're doing our best, and I'm confident Twitter will figure it out eventually. Uh, so, uh, thank you for your patience while we figure it out. The thing about it with a with a podcast, I don't if this was like a personal account. I would just change it and create a new one, but with the podcast, I don't want to create a new Twitter account and have to start over and have 63 episodes of us telling people to go to a Twitter account that doesn't exist anymore, so I feel like we kind of have to be patient and wait it out, so we'll do the best we can in the meantime. You can find us on Instagram, since we're talking about social media, also at the Duke and Duchess podcast on Instagram. We don't have a lot of content that we posted there, but we do have some video content that we have not posted any other places. So some of the stuff there is unique and different. And uh, you know, I don't I don't pimp this out a lot, but our SoundCloud page uh is where we put up a lot of like a short little snippets of the show and some of the funnier jokes and things that we've had. So that's that can be a fun listen as well so something else to explore
1: so thank you so much for interacting with us thank you and keep up keep it coming because you're staving off the boredom of (laughs) middle-age and loneliness
0: i don't know what i would do without all you people to talk to i would probably try to go out and buy a ferrari with really (laughs) bad credit (laughs) get hair plugs not that i need them but it seems like a middle-agey thing to do (laughs) Could you imagine me with hair plugs?
1: I cannot.
0: I would look like a goddamn border collie.
1: I think you have enough hair.
0: (laughs) I'm swarthy. I think what Chad's trying to
1: say is you're keeping us young.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, tomato, tomato.
1: (laughs) So are you ready to hear the letter?
0: I am so ready to hear the letter in its entirety.
1: And I, I apologize. Because th- back
0: when people wrote letters. I
1: think we forgot to do it last week. Not I think you're
0: you right, yeah. The art of the letter is dead.
1: That's what they say.
0: Yeah, The missive is not getting its just desserts.
1: So we have this letter. It's kind of long at this point. But we now have the letter in its entirety. There will be no more letter readings after this. So listen good. Old friend, I hope this missive finds you well. Though, as you are now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. I realize that you are probably still angry. That is pleasant to know. Much as your perpetual health, I have come to rely upon your dissatisfaction with me. It is one of the Cosmere's great constants, I should think. Let me first assure you that the element is quite safe. I have found a good home for it. I protect its safety like I protect my own skin, you might say you do not agree with my quest. I understand that, so much as it is possible to understand someone with whom I disagree so completely. Might I be frank? Before, you asked why I was so concerned. It is for the following reason. Atti was once a kind and generous man, and you saw what became of him. Race, on the other hand, was among the most loathsome, crafty, and dangerous individuals I have ever met. He holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards." Ponder on that for a time, you old reptile, and tell me if your insistence on non-intervention holds firm, because I assure you race will not be similarly inhibited. One only need look at the, br- at the aftermath of his brief visit to Cell to see proof of what I say. In case you've turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Aona and Sky are both dead, and that which they held has been splintered, presumably to prevent anyone from rising up to challenge race. You have accused me of arrogance in my quest." "'You have accused me of perpetuating my grudge against race and Bavadin. "'Both accusations are true. "'Neither point makes the things I have written to you here untrue. "'I am being chased. "'You're friends of the 17th Shard, I suspect. "'I believe they're still lost, following a false trail I left for them. "'They'll be happier that way. "'I doubt they have any inkling what to do with me should they actually catch me. "'If anything I have said makes a glimmer of sense to you, "'I trust that you'll call them off.' or maybe you could astound me and ask them to do something productive for once for i have never been dedicated to a more important purpose and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here i ask again support me do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives i have never begged you for something before old friend i do so now
0: make roshar great again
1: Whew. <laughs> So that's the letter in its entirety. That just kind of like gets you ready for some mysteries, right? Ready to talk about mysteries? Who are these goddamn people? Question number one. <sighs> so predictions,
0: man. Predictions this time are going to be a mess because I don't know. A couple wh- of them on me. I don't know what's going on. I'm very confused. Like a 14-year-old who snuck into prom. I am very confused right now. (laughs) Like Brody Jenner on Father's Day. I am very (laughs) confused right now. All right. Prediction number one. Adolin's love of women. Dirty, evil women will be his downfall. Okay. So the chasm fiends are m- like the male worker bees for the void bringing queen. All right. And the shattered planes will be the place of birth for the new void bringers. Okay. Spren are tied somehow geographically either to gems that are found there or to the distance... From the origin. I haven't figured out which yet.
1: Hmm. I like it.
0: The protector, i.e. the big mama water sprint, whose name I cannot pronounce, is looking towards the origin for signs of some big bad coming from the east. Hence why all the faces. The faces are the faces of the Radiance.
1: Oh, I like that. Dang. You're good at this.
0: Well, I mean, just because it's interesting doesn't mean it's right.
1: No, but I still like your brain and the (laughs) things it does.
0: Women covering their free hand is related to a time when women were both fighters and surge binders. The safe hand being the equivalent of the free hand, like when Seth is using his free hand to move himself around and use magic. I suspect that them covering the hand is some some sort of symbol of them turning their back on surge binding, whether that being intentional on their part or somebody else mi- requiring it. Cool. And the other one I said that I thought... I. Think might be wrong on the basis of some of the things you said is the Shin know how to use Stormlight in a way that differs from what the Alethi are doing. I don't think it's as straightforward as they all know how to surgebind, mm-hmm. but they're using it somehow in a different way. Okay, don't know about that. I still think the people in the the letter in the missive are some sort of gods. Okay. I still think this is, I think this is a sort of polytheistic Mm -hmm. world and these people are gods. It also crossed my mind, I don't remember all the names of the heralds. The couple names that I know I did not hear mentioned Mm -hmm. in there, but they also didn't give us 10 different names. It wouldn't surprise me if these are the heralds either. The Heralds could also be some sort of demigods. I don't know. Right. I sort of feel like whoever is behind directing Seth to go kill all these people is somehow tied to that letter. All right. Those are my predictions. Those
1: are all your predictions?
0: Man, that's enough predictions.
1: Those are your predictions, folks. (laughs) Sorry, I got a new app.
0: Oh, no, it's, it's you, you enjoy. <laughs> go to town.
1: All right. Do you have anything else? I don't. Great episode. i uh, really Thank excited you, to hear listener reactions to it. Um, don't forget to get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your preferred method.
0: All right. So I am not going to go through and read off all of the different ways that you can get in touch with us, because we kind of already did that. But there is one thing that I will do, and that is to let you know that we have a few new reviews on iTunes.
1: Oh, sweet. I love it when that happens.
0: It's good things. It's a good thing. So we actually got three new reviews on iTunes uh, since we last uh, talked about it, and two of them are anonymous, so we don't know who you are, but you do, and we thank you for your contributions to the podcast, because it does help us to get noticed and to to raise higher in the rankings, in the search rankings. So we thank you for that. But we also got one uh, new review from Nebfab. And it says, I read The Name of the Wind and the Wise Man's Fear and felt some grief at the loss of another book. Every time I finish a good book, I feel as though I've lost a friend. So naturally, I started looking for podcasts about the books. I found this several months ago and binged on all of the King Killer Chronicle episodes pretty quickly. As I listened, I found myself having eureka moments from the Duke and Duchess analysis and, spe- analysis and speculation. I love the dynamic of having someone who has read it and someone who has not. And since I read the books prior to listening, I enjoyed hearing the predictions from the Duke. All in all, I'm extremely pleased to have found this awesome podcast. I found myself waiting to bring up certain things that they might've missed or comment on how I might've interpreted something differently. So I joined their interactive Facebook group and I love the community, community that they have built upon finishing my listen through King killer. I knew I wanted to keep going with them. So I am in the middle of the Lies of Loch Lamora reading alongside the podcast this time, instead of reading ahead, the dynamic is even more fun. All in all, these are good, fun, nerdy people, all in the right way. They're worth listening to if you enjoy fantasy sci-fi books. Neb Fabulous, a.k.a. Ben Pruitt. So thank you, Ben.
1: Just gives me shivers. Thank you very much.
0: All goose bumpy over here. Totally. So, folks, we love you guys. So much fun. And we're also tired. So so good night, everybody. <laughs>
1: Good night. We'll see you next week.
0: (laughs) Next week. All right. Bye-bye.